Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Pastor James right now is out of New York City. You, those of you who've been here a long time know, or if you've kind of been listening in, you recognize we went to Ground Zero right after 9-11 and planted a church in, in New York City. You might remember Pastor Shino. Some of you remember Pastor Shino was here in this house, leading in this house. Pastor Shino is being installed as a lead pastor of a congregation there in New York City. Isn't that fun? So Pastor James sends his greetings to you, and of course he's there to, to, to install him as pastor. It's a wonderful thing. Um, Pastor Rice actually is down in New Orleans right now. We have a new church being launched down in New Orleans called Unite Fellowship, and so he's preaching down there. Last week you heard from one of our congregations, a, a great pastor, Brock Lillis, you heard from Murfreesboro, one of our congregations there, and of course there's Clarksville, and there's Dallas, and there's Orlando, and we, we can't actually talk to you about all that we're doing. It clutters the air too much. Isn't that fantastic to be a part of a church that just has outward waves of mission that just keep going and keep going and keep going? I'm excited about it, thrilled about it, wish I could talk more about it. Um, and this actually, come to think of it, this Wednesday is Empower. Those of you who are part of Bethel for a while, you know that Empower is a big night for us. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, be here. Write that down right now. Put, open your phone. Put it in your calendar. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, Empower. So for all of our ministry leaders, all of our ministry teams, and all of our life group leaders, all of our life groups, we're, we're, we're launching into this new year. Pastor James and I will be sharing some of the vision that God has been impressing on us and won't let up on us. We, we've had whole days just driving around the city and praying, and the Spirit just keeps pushing us with a sense of urgency about what He wants us to do. We spent a long time together again this week working on that, praying on that, meeting with Pastor Rice about that. A lot of great things coming. We're thrilled about it, so be here Wednesday night at 7. Then I'll have more time to talk. But why is all of that going on? I believe that all of that is going on for one very simple reason. It can get so cluttered, it can be confusing. It's going on for one very simple reason, and it's the reason of this series. Abide. The word abide means to live or to dwell, and we're asking you to live in the word, to be devoted to the word, to not just visit the word, but live there. You remember Pastor Rice, just a few weeks ago, invited us. That was his word. He didn't want to challenge us. He said, I want to invite you. Could, could you consider? Ha, have you considered reading through the New Testament once a month all year long? That's 12 times the New Testament. And when he first said that with his big, you know, trademark Pastor Rice grin and a wink, they were like, okay, you may look happy, but we're not happy, right? He, he, that may seem happy to you, but he, if you asked us to read through the New Testament in a year, some of us would say, well, I'll try, Right? And then he started talking about all the ways that we could do it, listen to it, you know, play it on one and a half times speed, listen to it in the car, use your Bible app, listen to it while you're doing dishes, while you're getting ready. Maybe you sit down and read it, maybe you give up a movie, maybe you give up a couple things, but for the most part, you don't have to change your life much, just stick the word in where you, we're putting other things in, and before you know it, you've gone through the New Testament in a month. You remember that challenge? My whole family's going through it, uh, every single member of the family from 12 to however old I am, that's, that, we're all doing it. My 12-year-old's actually ahead of the game. He's in Revelation because he's competitive. If, 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 even if it isn't a game, it's a game. Even if there isn't a score, there's a score. I remember T-ball. Remember T-ball? Everybody scores, right? You swing your bat, everybody scores. He came up to me in the dugout and said, Dad, Wilson, we're winning. 
Like, dude, you don't win. It, 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 everybody's scoring. Yeah, but we're winning. We're up. I'm counting. Nobody's counting. I'm counting. We're winning. That's just because we have more players on the team, dude. That's it. That's him. So he's all the way into Revelation. If a 12-year-old can do it. <laughs> that wasn't fair, was it? See that little thing? That wasn't fair what I did, did there. But Pastor Rice is challenging us to do that for a very simple reason. Back in the early days of his ministry, that's what he was doing, reading the New Testament again and again and again and again. And what he tried to do was just do what he read in the New Testament. So he started doing all kinds of things that most people were not doing because he read it in the New Testament. And he was believing for things to happen that most people weren't seeing happen because it was in the New Testament and he believed you can do it again. Fire and wind. Yes, what we were singing and praying, you can do it again. I won't have time to share the miracles he experienced, but I'll share a couple things just from what he was doing. He planted 30 churches in just a couple years. Go to a college campus, teach there every night for 30 nights in a row, and launch a church. 30 churches, 23 of those still exist. That's a higher percentage of almost any church planting movement you'll ever find anywhere. And he did it in just a couple years. Most pastors would be thrilled if they did that in their entire career. He did it really quickly. Why? Because he read in the New Testament. Paul went into the place where public debates were happening and taught there every day. And it was extraordinary the number that were added to their number every day. So he read that in the New Testament, said, well, that's the university for us. Went to the university, and that's why we have campus ministries, because he found it here. Are you following? That's why we have a church in Manila that is one of the largest churches in the world, 100,000 100, or so in it now. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing, but it was simply because he went to the campus every day, and Pastor Steve was faithful to go in behind him and build where, where Pastor Rice had, had launched it, and now because of that great discipleship and outward missional movement, there's 100,000 people worshiping in all their locations every week. Isn't that fantastic? It's, a, it's an amazing thing. All of that is one word. Abide. We're asking you not to visit the Bible, but to live there. We're asking you not to, to study it, but to live it. Now, some of you, if you're honest, you might get just a little bit concerned. I don't know if you've heard people talk this way, but some people think when you talk this way about the Bible, you're getting dangerous. Well, you kind of are, but in a good way in my mind. But they think you're getting dangerous, that you're elevating a book, an inanimate object, too high. It's almost becoming idolatry. They have a word for it in some academic circles, bibliolatry. They're afraid you're worshiping the Bible. Are we legalists? Are we fanatics? Are we idolaters? Why would we have you focus this much on the Bible? Well, I have some reasons I'm going to give you, but they, they come out of the Bible. Is that okay? Uh, get your Bibles out. I encourage you to bring your physical Bibles whenever you can to church. There's no distractions on it like there are on the phone. If you don't have it, that's fine. It'll be on the screen. John chapter 17, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Fourth gospel in the New Testament. You'll have the order memorized by the end of the year probably. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Two-thirds of the way through your Bible, chapter 17. Two chapters before this, he gives them the, the vine and the branches and says, if you remain in me, I remain in you. You'll produce much fruit. It's my Father's glory that you produce much fruit. If I remain in you, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you want. Now, two chapters later, he stopped teaching. This is the last, last night he's with his disciples before he's betrayed, goes to the cross, and now he's praying in John chapter 17. This is a prayer, sometimes called the great high priestly prayer. I'll start in the middle of it because we just don't have time for all of it. 
Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. When I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. Not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of this world, just as I'm not of this world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Now, he's not teaching, but he's teaching. He's not meaning to even be teaching, but his prayer has so much packed into it, almost accidentally tumbling out of his heart. Do you hear how many times it's word, 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 scripture, truth, word? That's in Jesus' prayer. His last prayer that is going to be with them in a programmatic way instead of a dealing with the moment kind of prayer. And it's word, word, word. In this, he reveals a couple things that are sort of assumptions of the passage before we get to the real thing that I want to share with you. This is kind of a little bonus here. Can, we, can you mind if I give you a little bonus? So the Father gave Jesus the words. Jesus gave those to the disciples. Did you catch that? So why in the first place does God give Jesus the word? So just a little theology. Jesus is 100% man and 100% divine. He's 100% human, 100% divine. He's not 50% human, 50% God. He's 100% both. He doesn't give up anything of what it means to be God in order to become human. He gives up some of the benefits of being God in order to suffer what it means to be human. But in his being, in his essence, he is fully God, fully human. It's a grand mystery we'll never fully understand until we're there. You with me so far? So he needs everything a human needs, like food, water, air, word, because he's human. When, in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus has just been baptized, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tested, to be tempted and tried, and in order to resist the devil, he uses the word. When he's dealing with the Sadducees and the Pharisees and they're twisting the word and twisting it to use it against them, and he answers them back with <laughs> the word. When he is training his disciples in what they need to know, he is teaching them from the word how the Messiah always had to suffer and die. From the word so that they could understand once he is gone what was going on that they could never understand before from the word. When he's on the cross and he's experiencing that excruciating moment, he quotes the word. You see it? So here's the assumption of the passage. Jesus needed the word. Okay, make it real clear. If Jesus needs the word, we need the word. 
There's your first bit of notes. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. If Jesus needs the word, we need the word. Now, Jesus then gives this same word to the apostles. Now, these were disciples at the moment. They're going to be apostles, those who are sent in a living and active way by Christ himself to reach the world. Those are apostles. They have gifting and they have authority, and we believe God has given them to the church, right? But if the apostles needed the word, we need the word. There's your second bit of notes. It says, tiny little bonus. It's not even the reasons yet. Can I just miss the assumptions of the passage? If Jesus needs the word, we need the word. If the apostles need the word, we need the word. Are we better than them? No, we're not better than them. Okay, but you, you still might not be convinced. So let me go. I'm going to give you five reasons, okay? We'll go through them. Five reasons from John chapter 17. There's more in John chapter 17. But five reasons why we need the word. Let's turn back to it again. First, number one. The word shows us who God is. The word shows us who God is. Look in verse 6 again. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. You gave them to me. They have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. And then look again in verse 11. I am in the world no longer, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. A name isn't just a label. When we're talking about it in Scripture, it's an identity. It identifies you, and it bears meaning within it when you speak about the name like Scripture is speaking about the name here. Jesus has manifested, shown, made clear the name of God. And the one he uses most often in the Gospels, you'll hear it over and over again as you're listening to your Bible app, as you're reading in your Bible, you'll hear it again and again. Jesus refers to God as Father. Father, my Father, our Father, Holy Father, again and again and again. Because the central understanding, the central metaphor of the New Testament for who God is to us through Jesus is Father. Now, I know some of you have very difficult relationships with your fathers. That doesn't mean we discard him as father. That means we learn who he is as father so that we can understand how fathers on earth should have been, could have been, how we can be different. This father is, has a very unique characteristic to him, right? When you hear the words God is, what comes to mind, those of you who've been in the word a long time? God is, what's the next word? Love. God is Love, the New Testament teaches us. It is the highest gift he gives us because it is who and what he is. When we read the word, it shows us who God is so that we can redefine who we are on the basis of who he is. We don't learn who we are and then extrapolate from that and say, well, that must be who God is. You know, one of the things that always drives me nuts is you know, people who say, well, you know, once you're a parent, you'll understand God better. Well, maybe. Are you living in the same world I'm living in? There's a whole bunch of parents who don't parent like God. As a matter of fact, the natural thing for a human to do is to parent poorly. The unnatural thing for us to do is to be like him. And we don't go to scripture with our parenting to learn who God is. We go to God to learn who he is to figure out how to parent. Ephesians chapter 1 is all about the Father. It's a great parenting chapter. Never mentions parenting at all because it's about who the Father is. 
We go to scripture not to become Bible heads with a big Bible sitting on our shoulders with a bunch of content that we can debate. (laughs) No, we go to scripture so that we can become loving. Like God is loving, and he is loving not in a way that has no rules. He's loving in a holy, righteous way, and that's not the way humans tend to love. That's the first thing Scripture does is it shows us who God is. Uh, The second thing the Word does is the Word strengthens our faith. The Word strengthens our faith, number two. Look in verse 7 through 8. In John chapter 17 again, starting in verse 7. Now they know that everything I, I have, everything that, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you have given me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Look now in verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Then look again in verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I draw those verses out of the prayer because each of them shows us a different way that the word strengthens our faith. It guards us. It guides us. It corrects us, it sanctifies us. When our life goes off the rails, scripture gets our life back on the rails. When our life starts to head on a path that's destructive, scripture brings us back from the path of destruction. Otherwise, we will become children of destruction. When we can't see ourselves clearly, scripture shows us ourselves so that we have to face the mirror of who we are. Scripture strengthens our face, but it uses this very key word in there. They received the words. Received the words. Uh, we received a package this week. At least we thought we did. There was a, a package sent to us because our printer was out of ink. So you, nobody goes to the store. We just order things. And it somehow magically shows up by the elves and the storks that bring packages to our doors, right? So uh, Holly, who's, who was out of town, she texted me and said, hey, the, the, the printer ink arrived. Can you make sure you get it? There's no, no package outside the door. So I texted her, there's no package. She says there's a picture, and she looks at the picture. You know how they send you the picture now to show you that they've actually delivered it? Well, there's a bright orange door in the picture. We don't have a bright orange door. You know, we haven't lived in Tennessee long enough to have a bright orange door. Maybe half of you do. I don't know. But we don't actually have a bright orange door. That's not our door. You say we received the package. We didn't receive the package. That's our neighbor's door. So she tells me to go over to the neighbor, get the package. Maybe it's sitting outside the door. We don't want the ink to freeze, right? It's freezing out there. She's very frugal. You, you love her. She's absolutely frugal. Coupon lover. You want to bless Holly? Give her coupons. I don't know why. I have no understanding of this. She gets mad if we're at a restaurant that, had, that she had coupons for. We didn't plan on going. We show up. We're eating. She's like, what are you so upset about? I have coupons. <laughs> don't, just enjoy the food. No, I have coupons. Like she can't even. It doesn't taste good anymore. <laughs> I don't have the coupons. She doesn't want the ink to freeze. Ink isn't cheap, all that. So I go over there to get the package. Now I've received it, right? So I bring it back into my house, and I open up the box, and sure enough, in there is a shrink-wrapped box, box with an uh, ink cartridge inside. Great. I've received it, yes? Well, that was Friday. Uh, today, that ink cartridge box shrink-wrapped is still sitting on my kitchen table right there in the middle. 
You see, Holly's away. Things don't happen when she leaves. Just things, just nothing happens. There it is sitting right there on the table. So when I wanted to print the sermon, I couldn't print the sermon, and I was out of time, so I had to quick take my journal with me and handwrite my stinking notes from memory into my Bible because that wonderful, beautiful ink cartridge that was delivered to my house and was received technically and even physically by me is doing me absolutely no good whatsoever. That ink cartridge may be in my house, but it's not blessing my house. Do you see what I mean? It's one thing to receive something. It's another thing to receive something. The word here in the Greek is lambano, and it means to take up into hand so as to use. So it's not just, oh, I received it. No, it's to take it up into hand so as to use. Let me be painful for a moment. I'm sorry to all of Nashville for a second. But you've received it long enough to make a football move. Can I just say that for just a second? I'm sorry, it's painful. I just had to do it. We're going to get through this together. We will get through this together. Grief care, I know that's happening, so that we have a grief care group. You can join that group. They will help you through your sorrow and loss. I know it's hard. It's not just that you've received it. You're doing something with it. It's the same verb Jesus uses when he says, take up your cross, which you could translate it, receive your cross. But he wants you to do more with it. Take up your cross, pick it up, carry it, follow me. There's a purpose to your suffering. There's a reason for your pain. It's supposed to be used. Do you see that? So let me just give you a little threefold movement for the word as you're listening to it, reading it. This is how we have to let it strengthen our faith. First of all, hold it. Second of all, own it. Third of all, use it. Hold the word, own the word, use the word. I need to get a little handle if there's a heavy bucket. I need a handle to carry that. Do you know what I mean? I need a handle on that thing. So one of the reasons I love wide margin Bibles like I have is I get to scribble my handle in the margin. That's a different culture and a different time. They say it in ways I can't always grab easy. So I write out in the margin the little Davism that helps me hand, handle that bucket for whatever that is. I've got all these little Davisms all through. You go, go through this and you'll find Davisms all over the place. It's just a little handle for me to hold that bucket. And that way, when I lift up that handle, the whole bucket of that passage comes with it. Does that make sense to you? I got to find a way to hold it. And then I want to own it. I don't want to just say, hey, here's a little nugget for somebody else. Oh, that's good. I got to go tell John about that. He's got to fix what he's doing. Oh, Sarah is a mess. Have you, Jade, Jade, if I could give that text to Jade, Jade needs that. I want to own it for me appropriate it for me, swallow it, eat it, digest it for me. Are you with me? So sometimes I actually physically hold it. I write the thing down in the note card. I put my little Davism handle on the back of the note card. I stick that back in my pocket and I look at it all day long until I really start to own it because the, the next thing I need to do is use it. And I got to find the space in my life in which I'm going to live that out. If you hold it and you own it and you used it, then you've received it. One theologian said that scripture is blood turned into ink. These are real experiences, real lives. This is the living word, but it's been turned into ink. Our job is to turn that ink back into blood, to hold it, to own it, and make it come into our lives in a living way. Don't let the ink freeze. It's too valuable 
to let this be a frozen dead thing among the frozen chosen who don't change in any way, but they know all that stuff up in their Bible head. Number one, the word shows us who God is. Number two, the word strengthens our faith if we'll really, really receive it. I gotta move through the next three a little faster. But three, word, the word brings us deep joy. The word brings us deep joy. If you look back in verse 13, Jesus says to them, says in his prayer, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He speaks words so that his joy can be fulfilled in them. It brings us deep joy. Sometimes when I finally get into the word and I set things aside, even if I procrastinated it most of the day, and I finally get back to it, I say, I haven't been in the word, and I set in it, a deep peace comes to me when the rest of the day had been troubled. Sometimes the word I needed to correct me is there, and I'm so glad I'm finally corrected because I've been messing it up. I get disoriented, and I, now I'm reoriented. It brings me joy. But you know what? I think sometimes new Christians recognize this more than Christians who've been at it for a while. Have you noticed that? Yeah. One of the first guys I discipled uh, in Kentucky, you'd like him, JT, he's a, a general contracting guy, came to Christ. Um, he'd, he'd been involved in drug culture, alcohol culture, et cetera, got baptized. I was there when he got baptized and started leading him into, into the word and into faith. Um, he started leading people to Christ pretty quickly, was just filled with joy about what God was doing with him. And uh, I was at his house one day, and he led his cousin to the Lord and given his cousin the Bible. And he invited his, his cousin. Uh, his name starts with a J, but I can't recall it right now. Um, he just came over to the house to meet me and just to talk about the word for a bit. His, his cousin came in and started talking right away about the Bible as if I'd never met it. You know, did you, have, have you ever heard about the Bible? Have you ever heard about this Jesus guy? You know, he just starts witnessing to me, right? David wanted him to come talk to me so I could talk to him about the word. He's right away talking, but this is the way he talked. Have you read this beeping book, man? There's some beeping, good beeping here. I've been reading this beeping book like all beeping week, man. And you know what? That beeping Jesus, he is the beeping beep. Like when he comes into a beeping thing and they're beeping all over the place, he says, no, beep that, man. I'm going to tell you what the beep is going on. And then when I get the beep going up, he is something. Let me just turn to you. I'm going to read this passage to you. It's so beeping amazing. Listen to this. Listen to this beeping stuff. This is beeping awesome. Come on, have you read this? That's the way he was talking. Every other word was foul. But he was filled with joy over this book. He didn't even know every other word was foul. That was just ordinary language. He was a drug pusher. He was a drug dealer. He was just now fresh, fresh out of the mess. And he was filled with joy over what God was showing them in this book that's so ordinary to us. We're not going to go to church. Okay, get your stuff together. Man, bring your Bible. The pastor always says, bring your Bible. Get your Bible. Come get in the car. Get the car. Get the car. Come on, get in the car. Sometimes we lose that, forgive me, beeping joy <laughs> over this beeping book because it's beeping good. And I don't want us to have foul language. Scripture tells us to not use coarse joking or to use coarse language. I know that that's in there, but God didn't seem to mind. I think God was rejoicing over this guy. He's like, all right, you know what? We catch him, then we clean him. That old phrase, right? You're kind of a mess. That's all right. You're in the net. Come on in. Come on in. Just get that word in you. Keep getting that word in you. You're going to beep a little less and beep a little less and beep a little less. Eventually, the beep will stop. But don't worry about it. Just follow that joy, right? 
The word gives us deep joy because it really is life. These are the words of life. The disciples say, to whom else will we turn, Jesus? You have the words of life. Why would we go somewhere else? I had a day off recently, and I, you know, sometimes you're tired, and you think the best thing you can do is not do anything Christian. So I was watching this movie, and I, at the end of the movie, I was just like, man, this is... And I was paying attention to my emotions, just realized how empty I felt. And realized that it was the middle of the day, it was the day off, I was just taking a, just a slam done, I'm done, tired day. And I realized I hadn't been in the Word. I can't tell you the difference it made. Half an hour of being restored in the Word. It brings us deep joy. Well, I brought you up to bring it down. I'm sorry to do it to you. But I got to. It's the way Jesus did it. Number four, the word prepares us for pain. If you look in verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Why? Because I gave them the word, and they received it, and they accepted it, and they're living according to it, and it's guarding them. So the, word hates, the world hates them because the word is in them. That's why I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You know, one of the first things that happens to Saul of Tarsus when Christ meets him is that, number one, he's blinded, and then someone has to come to bring the healing back to him. And that person who comes is there to tell him everything he has to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. He's a one-day-old believer, and he's not sure he's a believer yet. He's just been blinded. What's going on? This Jesus that I've been persecuting has now confronted me. And now this Jesus is saying, you're going to have to suffer. I might as well tell you from the very beginning, there's a lot of pain involved. And that same Saul of Tarsus, because he was warned up front, wasn't surprised when the pain came. And when Saul and his friend Silas are in prison, they've just been beaten. They're in chains in a dark prison in Philippi. They bust out into worship and song. They're rocking the jailhouse with praise because the only reason they're in prison is because they're proclaiming Jesus' name. And they're praising God that they would be counted worthy of suffering for Jesus Christ. Shakes the jail. Converts the jailer. And the world gets so mad about it, they have to leave town. Let me just tell you, you get devoted to the word. You don't just visit the word. You abide in the word, and you don't just live there, but you try to live that way. Some people are going to hate you. They're going to be mad at you. They're going to try to correct you and fix you because they think you're the problem. And some of them are going to be believers who say they're doing what they're doing for you as a way of following God. Do you think we're exempt from what happened to Jesus? Do you think we're exempt from what happened to Paul? Don't be surprised. But when you get into a season of loss, when you get into a season of discouragement, when you get into a season of pain, when you get into a season of, of rejection, when people start slandering you and gossiping about you and trying to defame your character and diminish your name in public places, let me tell you from experience, you need to live here. 
This will put you on the right path. This will help you to bless those who curse you. This will help you to forgive 70 times 7. This will help you to turn the other cheek and say, you need to strike something? Here, try the other side. I can take it. I can handle it. What else you got? This will help you even in that moment to say, you know what? These light and momentary troubles are not worth comparing. They're not worth comparing to that glorious inheritance that is coming one day. These pains will last just but for a moment, but that joy is going to last forever. This life will feel like a blink to that one. And he'll keep you on the path if you're in the word. Number five, the word brings us unity. The word brings us unity. In verse 21, one of Jesus' final prayers is that we will be one as he and the Father are one. Now, if you're smart, you're thinking, Dave, no, this word divides people. Divides father from son, mother, brother and sister. This word divides people. This word divides denominations. This word divides theological traditions. Well, in a way, but that's just because of what's in the heart of human beings, not because of what's in the Word. Actually, the Word is the only thing around which we can finally unify if we receive it fully. Um, You're a part of a movement called Every Nation. I don't know if you all know this, but you're part of a movement in Every Nation that has all kinds of people in it, all kinds of traditions in it. You have Presbyterians and Methodists. You have Lutherans. You have Pentecostals and Charismatics of every kind, first wave, second wave, third wave, all kinds of wackos and weirdos and all kinds of normal, insane people, and even a few people who just say, none of that's real, but I love y'all anyway. So you got all kinds of people. You have Calvinists and Arminians. That may sound like a bunch of theological gobbledygook, but let me just tell you something. Those people don't exist together usually. They divide and they form their own organizations. They form their own missions. They stop working together. This movement is working together. Why? Because we come to the table and say, look, if it's not clear, if it's not definitive from Scripture, we're not going to divide over it. If I can see where you get what you're saying from Scripture, I'm not going to divide with you over it. And we're going to do what we can see clearly Scripture is telling us to do together. You know, George Whitfield and John Wesley back in the, in the Methodist revival had this struggle. Whitfield was a Calvinist and Wesley was an Arminian, but they finally came together talking about the word for long hours, struggling over it. And then Wesley said, basically, do you believe that it's by grace alone we're saved? Yes. Do you believe it's by faith alone? Yes. Do you believe there's a wrath to come? Yes. Do you believe we should save as many as we can while it's still day? Yes. They shook hands and Wesley said, well, let's get to work. It's mission that unites us. And the mission is given us through the word. When we read it again and again, we realize that it was mission that drove the church all over the world in the books of Acts, book of Acts. It was mission that drove Paul to write letters from prison to make sure the churches stayed on mission. It was mission that got Paul to write to Timothy. Don't get all caught up in little arguments about words and debates that divide people. No, stay on mission. There's a lost world we're trying to reach. The word brings us to unity if we don't take all of our baggage and put it on the word. It takes hard conversations. I've had hours of conversations this week, difficult conversations, disagreements over scripture where we just hashed it out. We didn't sweep it under the rug. We argued. We debated. We got to the end. You're good. I'm good. You're good. You're good. I love you. I love you too. And now we're still working together. We're still getting it done because the mission takes us there.
I'm going to give you a couple thoughts as we move towards a close. I didn't get to the last. I just I want to share them with you. The word, when it's outside of us, has no power within us. The word outside of us has no power within us, but the word within us withstands any power outside of us. This is an important spiritual truth. The word outside of us has no power within us. The word within us can withstand any power outside of us, whether it's divisiveness, whether it's slander and gossip, or it is rejection and persecution. The word within us will withstand everything else. The question of this series is not, are you going to visit the word? The question is, will you abide there? You've heard me say this before. Going to church once a week does not make you a Christian any more than visiting a garage once a week makes you a car. Are you going to live there? We come here to have a regular reminder to encourage one another when we gather together to get back into here regularly to let this indwell within us so that the words remain within us. When the words remain within us and we take them up, own them, and put them into use in our life, we can't help but bear fruit if we just do what Jesus did and the apostles did and the early church did. We'll be bearing fruit all over the stinking place. We won't have enough baskets to hold the fruit. We won't have enough people to process the fruit that's in the baskets that's overflowing with fruit. We just got to do what this book says to do. Would you stand with me? We're coming to a close here. Thank you for your faithfulness to be here and your attention. I just want to have you bow your heads, close your eyes, even at home. Even if you're just sitting there in your pajamas, you never left your bed. You've just got a laptop on your lap. Close, Close your eyes. I'm closing my eyes too. We've been invited to consider reading the New Testament each month for the rest of the year. Trying to give you reasons why that might be a good thing, not just a church thing. All right, closing my eyes, tech people, close your eyes. Worship team, close your eyes. Pastors on the front row, close your eyes. People way up in the very back, close your eyes. It's just between you and God, I'm keeping my eyes closed. If you want to say to the Lord, as your vow to the Lord, I'm going to do my best to do that. I'm going to get through the New Testament once a month this year. If I mess up in a month, I don't quite make it, that's fine. I start over the next month. All I want you to do is raise your hand up to God, and it's just you and him. So I'm going to do that. It's just between you and me. It'll help you if you tell somebody else later, but that's, that's for you to do. That's for you to do. You figure out who you're going to tell to help you hold to it. My hand is up. I hope yours was too. You can put them down. It'll help you if you go through that journal. We'll give you the beginning of February. That'll get you jump started. The reading plan's in there. It'll help you if you talk to people about it who are in your life so that you can hold each other accountable. If you get the word within you, trust me, you'll become more fruitful. But I think there's some others here and... uh, I think you would say, you know what, that word isn't within me. It's like a wrapped up ink cartridge sitting on the table. And I know it's there and I know what it is, but it has no use in my life. It's not changing me yet. That I haven't fully received it the way you're talking about it, Pastor Dave. Just every head bowed, eyes closed. All I'm asking you to do is lift up your head and lock eyes with me. If that's you. I'm not receiving it yet, Pastor Dave. Yeah, I see you. If you're looking at me, I'm just, I'm praying with you. 
Just lock eyes with me till I see you. All right. Yeah, I see you, sweetie. I see you. Anybody else? Yep. I'm slowly moving. Seeing you up in the back. Anyone else? Now, if your eyes are open, I think you're talking to me, all right? Okay, I see you then. All right. I see you. I see you too. I see you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If that's you, I just want to tell you this challenge is more important. It's very important that you not just do this as a ritual or a religion, not just that you do this as a habit or something you ought to do. You've got to have the right heart. You've got to pursue this thing. Lord, get this word into me. Help me to receive this. And it's got to be an act of prayer more than just an act of devotion. You've got to be really pouring yourself out saying, God, I need to receive this in a way that changes me. But some of you who are just looking at me, you need to make that first step. Maybe you've been putting two faces on, one face for the church, one face for the world. I know that's going on. Maybe it's time to switch and say, I'm only going to have one allegiance, one face, no matter what it costs me. If that is your ministry team, would you come forward, please? And Dr. Delvin's going to close us in prayer in just a moment. But the ministry team would be down here. And if that's you, I encourage you to grab somebody by the arm that you love and trust and say, would you come with me? I need to go pray. Just grab somebody by the arm, even right now. You can do it right now and say, I need to go pray. They'll understand. Just grab them. Say, can you come pray with me? And come down. Either, either when Dr. Delvin prays or after, the ministry team will stay here for a few moments. They'd be glad to pray with you. People won't even know whether it's your friend that you drug down here or you that needs prayer. Nobody will know and nobody cares. They'll just rejoice that you're meeting with God for whatever reason you need.